good to have you back, Casey. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, uh, he's never going to tell you this, but I will tell you, he's got an album coming out on Tuesday. Is this your first? No. Second, third, fourth, fifth? Third. third? Yeah, I was right on. Like I said, first-ish. Uh, so it's third, it comes out on Tuesday. So go to Casey Shock. You can Google that or go to iTunes. It'll be on there. And I highly recommend you checking that out. He would never plug that during church, but I would do that for him. Okay, before we get started... Let me tell you, this last week I uh, went down to Florida because I had to get my third root canal on one of my front teeth, which was awesome because it's not really even a root canal. It is oral surgery where they like drill through my gums and then go down like the root canal that way. And so the worst thing is I've got a friend who's uh, an endodontist, a root canal guy. And so I go to Florida and he hooks me up. And it's weird when you go to your friend to get a root canal because afterwards he's like, you want to go get lunch? I'm like... No, I don't want to get lunch, but he just didn't ruin I don't want to be rude to him, so I said, okay, well, let's go to lunch. This is pathetic. And, and so I'm sitting there, and he's talking to me. He's like, uh, man, you don't, you don't look so good. I was like, dude, you just had a drill in my gums. What do you think? Of course I don't feel good. Well, that happens, and then I wake up the next morning, and I didn't think that just because I had five stitches in my gums that for some reason I wasn't expecting swelling in my face. And so I wake up, and I'm like, oh, wow, there's a part of my face I've never seen before. And so I take a picture and I text my wife, my loving, supportive nurse wife, and she goes, ew. I was like, oh, thanks a lot. I look like I like had a bad case of Botox on my face. And so it was really great because I flew back in yesterday, but I parked my truck in Highland Park where one of my friends preaches at a church that like really nice part of Dallas. And so I'm, I'm parking, I'm getting out of my truck, and you can see all the ladies in Highland Park going, I've been there, son. Don't worry about it. You went to Dr. Swanson, didn't you? And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? No, 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 different kind of surgery. So in a lot of ways this morning is a lot like Michael Jordan in the finals in the flu game from many years ago. I'm playing injured, and if my mouth starts bleeding, I'm just going to push through, all right? Um, but this isn't like, like I said, the, this is not the first time I've had a root canal. It's actually the third one I've had on the same tooth because when I was like 10, I broke my front teeth on the playground uh, in West Philadelphia. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and so I had to move. But before that, I broke my front teeth. And so that was when I was 10. And when I was in high school, like six years later, I was at wrestling practice and one of my teeth like started to fall out, which is awesome when you're in high school. And so during one week of school, I had three different sets of front teeth because you go to the dentist and they make new ones and replace them. And, and one set of teeth... Even now, I can admit, they weren't looking so good. It looked like the cast of Jersey Shore in a library. You know they just don't fit right there. And there was a girl in my art class who thought it was really funny, and she named my teeth. She said, oh, those look like, uh, they don't look like teeth. It looks like you have chiclets in your mouth. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And so the whole class starts calling me, chiclet, hey, chiclet, hey, chiclet. And everyone's just making fun of me because this one girl in art class in the morning just said, hey, your teeth look like chiclets. Well... Let me tell you what happened that afternoon. My friend with a creative mind who said my teeth look like chiclets was at softball practice, playing third base. And she goes to take a grounder, and she got what many people called a bad hop. I didn't use the word bad to describe it. She took a hop, and the ball went over her glove, hit her right in the mouth, and broke her front teeth. And friends, that is the moment when I started believing in prayer. <laughs> I'm kidding, but that is my transition into prayer. So we're... <clears throat> We're starting a series this morning that we're going to go through for the next seven or eight weeks talking about prayer. And I don't pretend to be 
an expert on prayer. Prayer is something that I still wrestle with. It's something that I still have to struggle to, to allocate time to do. It's something that I have to remind myself to, to be thinking of. But one of the problems, I think, with prayer is there an, there's an expectation for, quote-unquote, normal people that we can't be people of prayer, that that's what those kind of people do, not us. But at the heart of prayer, it's something for everyone. It's something that everyone has access to. And it's always been this way. There's a story about a third century monk, a mystic, a guy who left civilization, went out to a monastery, and devoted himself to being in connection with God. He was a, a, a monk named Abba, Zach, Abba Zachariah. And he was asked, who can be a monk? And he says, as far as I can see, anyone who can be content with himself, anyone who learns to be content with what he has and no more is a monk. And so even from the very beginning of this spiritual tradition that we're a part of, people have been saying being a person of prayer, person of contemplation, being someone who lives in communion with God is not something for the distant group, the elite out there, but it's something for everyone that we all have access to. And what I'm going to argue in the series is that the goal of prayer is not that you would spend two hours every day praying. Some of you don't ever have that opportunity. Some of you don't have schedules that let that even be a possibility for you. The goal of prayer is not to get X number of minutes or hours or years of prayer. The goal of prayer is shaping you into being a certain kind of person. The goal of prayer is for our hearts to be tuned to the heart of God. And that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Now, we pray that we would be tuned to your will. And that when we come to prayer, that we will be people who are open to what you want to do in our lives. And that we would really be able to exchange our will for your will. And so tune our hearts. Pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> One of the hang-ups that we often have with prayer is the way that we approach prayer, especially when we're trying to make decisions. Now, there's a great book that a guy named John Orberg wrote that came out a few weeks back. Uh, I think the title is uh, The Places You Will Go, and it's a really good prayer that's really impacted me, especially as I understand this concept. And so that's my way of saying I'm ripping off this sermon from his book, but now I don't feel guilty about it, including this story I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, Orberg tells a story about a guy he knows named Sylvester. He's been married six decades. Married for some 60 years. And it all goes back to a blind date that Sylvester had with his now wife, Barbara. 60 years ago, they were a young couple, or they weren't even a couple yet. They're growing up. He grew up in the Depression. Grew up in a very tough time. But even from a young age, he had this ability to make really good decisions. He was a person of wisdom. All the way back from... When he was a young man. And so the story goes that they were, Sylvester and Barbara were supposed to meet and they'd never really met before. They didn't have Facebook back then, so they couldn't stalk each other and see what each other looks like before a blind date. And so Sylvester and Barbara were supposed to meet on a blind date. Barbara knows that Sylvester is an athletic guy and that's all she really knows about him. Uh, Their son would later play in the major leagues for many years. So he clearly was uh, coming from athletic genes. And so she expected an athletic guy to open the door when the doorbell rang. Well, the door rings, she opens, and there's a guy who doesn't look athletic at all. And she looks at him, and she's confused. She waits a second, and the guy just kind of stands there. 
And then from behind this guy, Sylvester goes, Hi, I'm Sylvester. I'm here to take you on a date. And the plan all along was Sylvester was going to bring his less athletic friend to stand there, be his wingman, and if Sylvester didn't think she was pretty, his friend was going to take on a date and he was going to leave. Which, <laughs> very wise, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. But it's always difficult to make a decision. You get that. It's difficult when you're dating. And it doesn't get different as you get older. It's always hard to make choices. When you go to a restaurant, how many of you ever experience where you order something and every time you say anything, this is what I want for my appetizer, this is what I want to drink, this is what I want my meal to be, the waiter goes, that's a good choice. And they say, well, this is what I want for my side. And they go, that's a great selection. And they say, this is what I want for dessert. And they go, oh, that is a perfect choice. And there are actually some waiters who have been trained by the restaurants to affirm people's decision because they know even when you're just picking between one and two different other options of food, people get paralyzed with decisions. It's hard for many of us to make decisions. Uh, there's a story about a judge, an Israelite leader named Gideon. God has told him to do something, and so he wants God to double down and confirm what he wants to do, and so he's going to fleece the situation. And so the story is he puts a fleece out, says, God, what do I want you to do? Make the fleece wet and the ground around it dry. Well, that works. And so the next time, it's the opposite. Make the ground wet, but the fleece dry. And people have used this language, which is not a bad idea in itself to use the language, to say, if I'm going to make this decision, then I'm going to put a fleece out and say, if I want to do this, well, then I've got to get this other thing to confirm that this is what God wants me to do. The only problem is with that is that Gideon, what he does, is clearly portrayed as a sin. The guy has already said, I want you to do this, but he doesn't want to make the hard decision that God has already told him, you need to make this decision. And so he's doing this out of a lack of faith in God because it's hard to make decisions. And so sometimes we act in this way that we're afraid to make decisions, but this is not how God wired us to be. From the beginning of creation, God has always put us in a position where we are to be people who make decisions. Genesis 1, verse 26, there is this at the very beginning of the first creation story. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in the beginning, God says, I am going to entrust you to have dominion over the earth. You are to be my co-creators. I've created this world, and now I am leaving you guys to rule over it. That is your job description. In the second creation story of Genesis 2, God tells Adam to name the animals, which is a way of saying that you are over them. You are making choices. You are leading. You are in dominion. It is your responsibility to oversee all of this. Part of the imagery that they're picking up on is in antiquity, emperors used to set statues of themselves, icons, images of themselves throughout their, their land, their dominion, to show people who's in charge. 
And God says, you are my representatives on earth. You are to oversee everything and you are entrusted to make decisions and to lead. That's who you were created to be, not to be people who are fearful of making choices. But even then, it's not easy to make choices as you're trying to wrestle with what does it mean to be in dominion over the earth. There's this really interesting uh, language that's used in the book of Acts. The early church is wrestling with the decision they're supposed to make. And in Acts 15, there is this interaction where they write, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials. You see the line? They say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So as they're wrestling with, well, what does it mean for us to do the right thing in terms of how God has called us to act? And he says, it seemed, we're not 100% sure on this, but it seems like this is what God, Holy Spirit, is telling us to do. And it's also what we think we're supposed to do. And so there's this balance between what we think God is saying and what we think is the right thing to do. And it seems to be right. Compare that to the language that you often hear. Well, this is what God told me to do. There's a sense of humility in that language, whereas when you say, this is what God wants me to do, there's no sense of humility. John Wilberg writes this. Here's a a quote he has about uh, decision-making. He says, Recognizing the angst of difficult decisions, decision-making can help you avoid one of the worst over-spiritualized traps people fall into when faced with a daunting opportunity. The... I just don't feel peace about it. Excuse for capitulating to fear or to laziness. In this scenario, we take the presence of internal anxiety as a supernatural rationale for avoiding taking on a challenge rather than seeing it for what it is, a simple sign of emotional immaturity. What Orberg is arguing is that you were called to make decisions, to be in dominion over the earth. And you're to wrestle with what seems right to you and what seems right to God. But that doesn't mean that you will never have anxiety. You will never have to wrestle with a choice. That anxiety you feel, it's part of being in dominion. And that's what God has called you to be in. Which means sometimes your choices don't work out well. Sometimes the choices you make aren't going to be the ones that give you the outcome you desire. And this is where it can be so cancerous when you have a slightly distorted view of what it means to follow God's will in your decision-making process. This is where it can be so problematic for you when you have decisions that you think this is what God's will is for me. And you think that's the, the goal of prayer is for me to tune into what God says and I will have no angst, I will have no doubt, I will have no concern, but this is 100% the right thing to do because sometimes things don't work out the way you want them to. I had this conversation not too long ago. Uh, A friend takes a job, moves across the country to the south. He's been there for a couple years, and the job doesn't work out. And so he tells me, he says, I'm really uh, upset. I'm not really upset about losing the job because I didn't really like the job that much, but I'm, I'm upset because I don't know what to do because I thought that was God's will for me. 
I thought this was God's will for my life, but I ended up losing my job. And so I don't know how to bring these two things together because I was sure this is what God wanted me to do. This was God's will for me, but then it worked out so poorly. And what is behind this is this perception of God's will that if you listen close enough, you'll never fall. And if you learn to pray right, then you will always avoid the obstacles of life. The best illustration I have for this goes back to one of the great um, thinkers of my day, one of the great influences on my life, Harrison Ford. Um, and so here's a clip from the uh, the movie Indiana Jones, if we can play that now. Ridiculous. Nope. Let's go to the other one. There we go. And so here's a scene from Indiana Jones, which you might remember, where he has to um, remember the name of God. And so he has these footsteps that he's going to follow, and if he spells out the name of God, he's good. And Sean Connery is going to try to interject, but he can't. Why would they go with Latin? Hebrew's clearly before Latin. It makes no sense. It's written in Hebrew, guys. Come on. I know that. Okay, so you have this idea that your job in prayer is to find the right letter and you jump on it, okay? And so if you jump right, just like Harrison Ford is doing so adroitly here, you'll never fall down. We'll get to the outback in a second. You hold your horses, okay? Don't jump there yet. We've got to go. But the idea is with prayer for some of us is that we think if we jump to the right letter because we've listened to God enough, we will never fall. And the problem with that is that we have replaced our expectation and our will for God's will. The problem with that mentality is we are thinking that what our will is, is God's will. Which brings us to the Outback Steakhouse. Okay, let's try to run that one back from the beginning. Uh, Now, this is a clip from uh, Australians being introduced to the Outback Steakhouse for the first time. (laughs) It's actually pretty good. I kind of don't mind it in a weird way. I feel like if I had any more of that, I would regret it to the day I die. (laughs) I can't stand it. All week we've been saying, saying you're going to have a blooming bloom in, in an onion or whatever, and you're going to love it, you're going to love it. How wrong they were. I'm really sad we're so misrepresented right now. If you want to claim us for this, we're happy with that. I didn't expect it to taste Australian, but I expected it to taste okay. They've got uh, all this American product and they've just slapped a big fake Australian kind yeah. of like, you're going to be Australian now, restaurant. I would like to know who created the menu. Okay, the one fact that they're told is that the people who started Outback Steakhouse had never been to Australia before they started the Outback Steakhouse. Now, let me say this. A blooming onion is blooming great, okay? So I don't care what they say. It's outstanding. But their critique of the culinary masterpiece we know as the Outback is that they've said, we American people have taken American food and just put a different label on it and said, well, this is Australian. It's not Australian. It's American food with a different name on it. That's the problem with this Indiana Jones mentality about God's will. Is we think if we listen enough that God will give us not actually God's will, but our will. 
You see, often the way that we determine a good prayer is because it helps us get what we want. Okay? What are the things that we want? We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be wealthy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want a fourth root canal on the same tooth. I don't want that. I want my tooth to be healthy. That's not wrong. If someone came up to me and said, Luke, I want to give you a million dollars and a pool full of jello, you know what I'd say? I would say yes. And if you're asking yourself, Luke, do you really think a pool full of jello would make you happy even though you're 33 years old? Yes, I do. Especially if I had a diving board with it. Okay? That's not bad to want to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. It's not bad to want to have a job in which you don't get fired. It's not bad that you want to have a marriage that flourishes. It's not bad that you want a car that doesn't break down. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. But the problem is when you take that and label it God's will, it becomes cancerous because we start to think that God's job is to show us the right place to step so we always get our will, not God's will. And that is so problematic because that's not how God works. Uh, Orberg has this list of phrases that, that he's heard as a pastor for decades, people say, when it comes to prayer and how God is supposed to work. They say, well, if I want something bad enough, God has to open a door for me. No, no, he doesn't. Okay. It, no, it's not true. If you want something to be your open door, often you have to go open it. Orberg says, sometimes people come up to him and say, well, if I'm going to make this decision, God has to give me peace about it. I've got to have peace about this decision. He goes, no. No, you don't have to get a peace before you make a decision. How many people in the Bible had these terrible things that they were called to do and they never had a peace about it? There's a prophet named Hosea who was told to go marry a prostitute. Do you think he had peace about that? I don't think so. Just because you want something doesn't mean you always get clarity or peace or just because you want a bad, it doesn't mean God's going to open the door for you. That's not God's will, that's your will. And you have slapped God's name on it and you get frustrated because it doesn't work out the way you want because you think it's what God wants. That's so problematic. Because it creates pictures of God which are not realistic. And instead there's a different way to understand God's will. Think about some of the ways that God's will and what God wants is explained in the Bible. Here's the first one from 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, it says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Some translations say, this is God's will. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. God's will? He wants you to be saved and to know Jesus. That's what God's will is, okay? That's clear. Uh, here's another one uh, from Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. God's will is for you to be a person of purity, not to be impure, but to have purity. That's God's will for you. Think about other things. It's God's will for you to be a person of love, not hate. It's God's will for you to be a person of gratitude. It's God's will for you to be thankful. It's God's will for you to follow the way of Jesus. That's what God's will for you is. But when it comes down to the specifics of exactly what that looks like, God gives you freedom to choose. There's freedom to choose exactly what that looks like. I had a good friend of mine, Jonathan, who a few years ago was wrestling with the decision. Is he going to stay as the, the JV preacher at our mother church down in North Richland Hills? Or is he going to move to Abilene and preach at a uh, church that uh, Lindsay and I were part of when we were in Abilene, a very prominent church in my tradition? And you would think, like, this is a, like a big deal. There are a lot of people who are impacted by this decision he's making. Clearly, he would get a word from God saying, this is what I want you to do. And my friend Jonathan says, no, I, 
I never heard a voice from God until six months after I made the decision, and then I felt like God was saying, this is where you're supposed to be. I, I was talking to a, uh, uh, an author, pastor, a guy named uh, AJ, who wrote in his book that when he was about to get engaged to his now wife, he was wrestling and praying and, 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 and begging God to give him a clear voice to say, this is who you're supposed to marry. And he writes in his book that he never heard from God when he was trying to determine if this was the right person for him to marry. Which one, it's stupid to write that, okay? It's just stupid. It might be true, but you don't write that down. Why, what is wrong with you? But God says you are in dominion over this earth. You make choices. God has enabled you to make choices choices. Now, clearly, if your choice is, should I go visit grandma in the nursing home or should I go join the KKK? There's clearly a right answer for that. But when it comes to some of the specifics that are a little bit more realistic, God says you are in dominion. Let me read you uh, another quote from John Orberg. John Orberg uh, writes this. He says, this means that God's will for your life will often be you decide. Sometimes you will ask heaven for direction and God will say to you, I don't care. That doesn't mean God doesn't care about you. It means that God cares more about your personhood and character than anything else, which is, of course, what we would expect from a truly loving God. Sometimes you're wrestling with questions of, does God want me to be a nurse or a teacher? And God says, you can do the will of God in both of those things. When I was at the end of my undergrad, there was a season which I was wrestling with, should I go to, to, to law school or should I continue this track and go to seminary? And I think God is saying, you can do the will of God as a preacher. And the, okay, that, that might be a bad example, but um, you can do the will of God in multiple different fields and you can have a way to be the person God created you to be. And so when you come to prayer, the goal is not to have God as some magic eight ball that if you shake the right way, God will tell you the easiest thing for you to do to be happy, healthy and wealthy. But instead, the goal of prayer is tuning your heart to hear God's will for the specifics of things that are motivating you. That's the job of prayer when you're making decisions. It elevates inside of you a a sense of awareness of what's inspiring you and motivating you to follow different directions. That's the important thing. As a preacher, I get conversations with people asking me about professions and choices they should make of things that I know nothing about. I I once had a guy who, who was a lawyer and uh, he was in this uh, tough situation which there was lawsuits against his firm and people involved, and it was just a mess, and he wanted to talk about it. I'm like, I, I know I'm actually kind of in a season which I'm reading a lot of John Grisham novels, so I'm probably a little bit educated on this. Just don't do whatever Tom Cruise did in the firm. Just stay away from that. But besides, like, I don't know anything about that. Or you're asking about business decisions and, and pastors get asked, well, what do you think I should do? What's the right thing to do here? What's the real estate decision I should follow? And really, a pastor doesn't know the specifics of that. But the reason you go to someone, a trusted friend, a counselor, a spiritual director in those situations is not for the specific practical steps of what's best for your career. That's why you have people in your vocation who are mentors you can talk to. But the reason you go to someone of faith to help you is because they help you see the things that are motivating you. And they help you see the ways in which your heart is not tuned to the will of God, but it's tuned to your own will. And that's ultimately what prayer is supposed to do for you as you're making decisions. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to a, uh, a gentleman who was listing off young preachers from my uh, tradition that he thought were really good. He was saying like all my friends' names, and I was like, okay, now I'll say my name. 
Okay, you said Josh and Jonathan and Josh. Go ahead and say my name now. And he didn't. And I was like, what's wrong with you, dude? And I was upset. Like, I was kind of frustrated because he was like listing like 400 preachers who were under the age of 34. I'm like, there aren't that many of us for you not to put my name in there. And so I was like, at at first it's like I was offended. I was like, dude, come on. And so after I keyed his car and I prayed about it, I, um, but there was a voice in my head that was saying something I needed to hear. I think this is what prayer does. It was saying, Luke, you're living out of your false self. You were not created to be a person who is a sycophant for people's praise. You were not to live out a position and a place in your life in which your heart desperately needs people to validate who you are. That's not God's will for you. And when you're making decisions, you need to have your heart tuned to that because sometimes you're making decisions out of fear. And you're afraid of one option, and so you're running away from something which you probably should do. And the reason you need to pray and have your heart tuned in prayer is because, as Paul said to Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of love, of power, of boldness, of self-discipline. That's not who you were created to be. Maybe sometimes you're making decisions out of greed, and you think, if I make this decision, I can get more. More praise, more accolades, more money. And I'm thinking if I chase this enough, that will fill me. And what prayer does is it tunes your heart and says you are not filled by what you accomplish and what people say about you and what you have, but you are filled by the voice of God that says you are my beloved son or daughter. Maybe you're making a decision based on lack, that you feel like you're not good enough, that you don't deserve something. And prayer, at its truer sense, tunes your heart to say, no, you are God's beloved. And so God isn't hoping for you to come to prayer so that you can make the right choice and you don't fail and fall down. Instead, God is not on this cosmic game of hopscotch, but God is this cosmic net that is underneath you, loving and supporting you, whatever decisions you make. God is this great improv artist. If you know anything about improv, you have these these actors that get on stage and they have no script and they're throwing out a couple different things and they're supposed to incorporate that in their story. And so people from the audience say things like uh, the, the Kool-Aid guy in Law Firm and Tom Cruise, and they have to make a story out of all those things. And the first rule of improv is you always say, no matter what your partners on stage say, you always say yes and, and you go with whatever is thrown in front of you. And that's the picture of our Heavenly Father, is that you are faced with options and choices and doors which you can go through. And I think you get to choose. You have dominion over them. But God is this heavenly improv artist who is taking your choices And even though the door you went through might have been a harder choice than the other one, and it might have been a choice that led you into more adversity and less happiness and health and wealth, God is the great improv artist who's in the hardest times with you just like he is in the easiest times with you. That God is using all things for your formation to tune you into being a person more like Jesus. And so that is good news. There is a blessing in all of that. And so my prayer for us is that we would know the good news of that. That God's will is that he is with you always. And that's good news. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would see the strength that you have placed in our hands. The strength to live in dominion over the world. And that we would live out of that. I pray that we would know the wisdom that you have placed in our brains, and that we would trust that you have empowered us to make decisions and have wisdom. 
God, I pray that you would let us know the perseverance and strength that you have placed in our heart. So that when things are overwhelming and hard, that we would know that you have empowered us to be strong, to persevere. And God, I pray that you would make us aware of the adaptability in our feet. That you have hardwired us to last, to survive, to exist. So God, I pray that we would be tuned to your heart. And what we would know that there is nothing, no hardship, no struggle that shall separate us from your love. That you are always with us no matter what door we go through, no matter what choice we make. You are the God of love who is in all that with us. No matter if the hardship we experience is because we made a bad choice in hindsight. Or no matter the success that we have is because we made a good choice that you love us just the same. And let us live in that grace of knowing that you are in all options with us. So tune our hearts to sing that praise. Praise in your name.